0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on I Love You, Man. Joining me is John Swansburg, our culture editor at Slate.
0: Hi, great to be here.
1: Hey, John. So, I Love You, Man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. You loved, you loved I Love You, Man more than I loved I yeah, you, I think
1: so. We saw it together last night, and I was saying as we were walking out, I could feel the differential waves of of liking, you know, acro- yeah. flowing through across. You the laughed out
0: loud more than I did. I, I I think you couldn't see it, but I was smiling at some moments where you were where you were laughing.
1: But, but overall, you were disappointed in this movie.
0: Well, to say disappointed would indicate uh, that high I had expectations high, in the first <laughs> place. Higher expectations than perhaps I did. Um, I enjoyed it. I really. I think we both felt that the the two uh, leads are actors who we really. Uh, admire a lot and and uh and we'll sort of are are willing to give a, a long leash to uh this being Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel. and um they are winning enough that they carried me through the movie uh through a movie that I thought had some moments that made me that were slightly approaching winsworthy right but there are moments that were really were really great and they are actually in addition to to Siegel and Rudd there's some there's some great um side performances too uh, in particular uh John Favreau who we should talk about maybe later but he he has only a couple scenes, but he totally steals them.
1: Well, let's talk about what the movie's trying to do, first okay. of all. Okay, It's sort of a, a romantic comedy, right? Yeah. Um, but the focus of the the main relationship that we focus on is actually this platonic relationship between two heterosexual men, which is right. sort of you know what the movie has new to bring to the table, I exactly. guess, that it's about the exploration of male friendship. Do you want to set it up a little bit? We sure. start off, Paul Rudd is about to, or he has just gotten engaged, right?
0: Right. He's just gotten engaged, um, and it sort of, uh, as the wedding pl- uh, preparations uh, are going on, his... Uh, Fiance kind of realizes that he doesn't have um, any male friends. So she has like a, a tight-knit group of, of girlfriends, but he doesn't – she's worried, I think, as a very practical matter, who's going to walk all of her girlfriends down the aisle because uh, Paul Rudd doesn't have any male friends. And her girlfriends are sort of start talking up to her how that's a problem. He's going to be a naggy – Husband, because he's always going to be at home, and when she goes out with her friends, he's not going to have any friends to hang out with. Well, we should also
1: mention that Paul Paul Rudd's character is set up very early on in this very sweet way as being this sort of extremely uxorious girlfriend-centric man, right? right. He's bringing root beer floats to his (laughs) friends and to his 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 girlfriend and her friends, and is sort of you know just likes hanging out with the women at work more than the men,
0: right? Yeah, he they they very in a in a nice touch of subtlety. You kind of throughout the movie he has this great rapport with all the women in his office, but can't quite seem to to connect with men. So the beginning of the movie uh once it becomes clear that it's important to his wife that he gets some friends, he decides to to embark on on this quest to find uh, some male friendship and uh I think there's some actually some funny moments at the beginning when he he has a, a bunch of uh missteps trying to to meet men his uh his mother sets him up uh on a, a mandate as they uh are fond of calling it in the movie uh to my chagrin um with uh, a guy who she's heard about through one of her friends. And, of course, it turns out he, this guy that she uh, sets him up with is gay and thinks it's a date, which leads to a very awkward kiss between Paul Rudd and his date. So that's sort of one of the, the false starts, uh, to say the least. And then there are several others. Uh, his fencing buddies, uh, Paul Rudd's a fencer, sort of a weird detail. Uh, they, they have a sort of kind of fratty, jockey kind of hangout um, sessions after their, their fencing practice, and Paul Rudd kind of tries to get on that but can't quite make it work.
1: And then eventually, he does finally meet the man that the man of his dreams, right. um, Jason Siegel who oh, we forgot to mention that Paul Rudd's a real estate agent, right? right. So he's showing a house, which happens to be Lou Ferrigno's estate, this right. is a very showy LA house in the hills, and uh, and this dude who's crashing the the um, open house, essentially to eat the sandwiches, played by Jason Siegel, kind of befriends him, and the two of them start to to form a real friendship.
0: Right. Right. And. Um... Jason, yeah, Jason Siegel's character is introduced in this scene that I found sort of annoying. I think you did also, where he just he is cra- he's crashing the Lou Ferrigno open house uh, mainly so he can eat the sandwiches and uh, try to meet a, a divorcee, um, and he he does a sort of weird kind of quasi Sherlock Holmes thing where. He uh, he sort of points out this guy and his girlfriend and kind of guesses all of this stuff about them and says though they're not really interested in buying the house even though they said they were and also the guy has gas and of course it turns out that the that the couple isn't really interested in buying it and the guy does have gas and and that's sort of his way of uh, of winning uh, Paul Rudd's uh, admiration and I thought that part was really stupid but then Jason Siegel's character does end up growing into this kind of three dimensional at least for the for the uh, purposes of this genre character um, who is is kind of fun to spend time with.
1: And well, there's, there's some sort of a kind of civilization versus savagery theme going on, right? The right. idea being that he's going to sort of teach Paul Rudd to be a man. Now, unlike you, I sort of thought that this movie had a, for its genre, somewhat complex conception of male friendship and what it is to be a man, and it certainly could have been a lot, there could have been a lot more fratty American Pie scenes where Jason Siegel was teaching him to belch or something like that. Right. I actually thought that their friendship was kind of nicely drawn. And I, no,
0: I agree with that. And, I, and Jason Siegel, yeah, he, wasn't, he wasn't this sort of annoying uh, jockey uh, caricature of, of malehood. He, he was a really weird guy. Uh, he uh, For instance, he wears Ugg boots in pretty much every scene. Yeah, inexplicably.
1: Uh, he's always wearing OP Pacific kind of beach shorts with Ugg boots. Yeah, on and, he, and a
0: scarf. Uh, and he has a, a puggle named Anwar Sadat because it looks Exactly like Anwar Sadat, which I thought was actually the funniest joke in the uh, in the whole uh, movie. <clears throat> there was a great uh, cutaway shot of a Time magazine cover with Sadat on it. At one point, <laughs> the dog really does kind of look like Anwar Sadat. They must
1: have that. had to comb rescue pounds all over America <laughs> to find that dog.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, but Jason Siegel is like also he's sort of a he's sort of a layabout, but uh, also turns out to be a successful investor. And I don't know, he's just a, he's just kind of an interesting he's an interesting character. Um, but yeah, he's not he's not some kind of uh, dopey Will Ferrell uh, uh, frat pack type. He's not. He he's he's more interesting than that. I think.
1: Nor is Paul Rudd's character. You know, the the totally stereotyped uptight. You know, buttoned up real estate dude. Right. Right.
0: I think one reason that I one thing I didn't like about the movie that seemed to bother you less was that. So a, a big uh, recurring theme in the movie is Jason Segel sort of has this kind of effortless cool to him, and Paul Rudd wants to have that. And so, for instance, each time the two of them have had a hangout session and then they're parting, Jason Siegel says something cool, like "All right, man, see, you know, see you next time," or and like comes up with a funny nickname for Paul Rudd, which, to which Paul Rudd tries to respond with something uh, funny that sounds effortless and cool, but instead kind of mangles it. He often, when he tries to do voices, always sounds like a leprechaun. And the first couple of times he does he does that and fails to sound effortless and cool, it's funny, but it was kind of belabored. It's every time. It, it seems it like in every scene, Paul Rudd was trying to be cool and failing in the, kind of the same way.
1: I agree; those jokes were overly milked. But on the on the upside, a lot of them sounded ad lib to me, and I think I just find find Paul Rudd a lot funnier than you do. He never fails to crack me. That may up.
0: be. I mean, I, th- I thought some of them were quite funny, and some of the stuff that he mumbles or, or comes up with. <laughs> at one point, I think in the first one he says. uh uh Jason Sickle was like, all right, uh, see, see you next time, Pistol, because the, the character's name is, is Pete. Uh, Paul Rudd's character's name is Pete. And Paul Rudd would come back and say, like, all right, see you next time, Jobin, which is just a word he made up. <laughs> it's really funny. They, they kind of used that joke a couple times, but I thought Jobin was really kind of clever and definitely seemed like the kind of thing that Paul Rudd might have just come up with on the spot. It's hard to imagine that having been in the screenplay.
1: So let me stop you right there for one quick word from our sponsor, audible.com. As you know, the number one source of audio entertainment on the web. We have a deal with them right now where if you sign up for a trial membership through our page which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler you get a free audiobook which you can hold on to even if you give up on your membership after the two week trial session so uh, I have a recommendation connected to uh I Love You, Man, um, again, somewhat of a remote connection. But uh, I was thinking about the um, civilization versus savagery theme, you know, that we picked up on in this movie. And, of course, that's a huge theme in American literature, as is male friendship. And mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't help thinking of Huckleberry Finn with maybe Jason Segel in the in the gym role and, <laughs> and Paul Rudd as Huck um so boots. so we went searching for Huckleberry Finn on on Audible and there's lots of different versions of it abridged unabridged but the one that most intrigued me although it is abridged which seems somewhat unfortunate for a great book like Huckleberry Finn but it's read by Jack Lemon which is pretty enticing so i was going to recommend you give that a try right. do you want to talk at all about the uh, the heterosexual relations in this movie like what did you, what did you think of its sort of vision of of gender and of the women characters
0: well i think you know as we've been saying the the male uh, relationship uh, is quite Quite well drawn and, and sort of deeper and more textured than you might imagine in a movie like this. Unfortunately, the women uh, are, are not particularly three dimensional. Um, Paul Rudd's wife uh, is just, she's just kind of there. Uh, the, the most interesting relationship uh, between man, uh, man and woman is actually between uh, Rudd's. Uh, a fiance and his friend, and John Favreau, uh, who who I mentioned earlier, they have this very weird uh, relationship where it's incredibly antagonistic, although strangely uh, can be sweet also. But Favreau plays this really kind of jerky uh, guy, this kind of portrait of the real kind of asshole guy who seems um, not to like uh, his own wife very much and is always kind of trying to blackmail her into into uh, having kinky sex with him, uh, and is is occasionally seen chewing on a um, toothpick in this in this way and he he, and Favreau kind of seems like he's beefed up for the role he just looks like a kind of a a, like a nasty guy Um, but there's a weird way in which his relationship with with his wife while when you first see it seems like completely dysfunctional there's like a certain sweetness that comes about at the end uh, where where they actually uh I don't know. There seems to be something a little bit more there. Am I reading too much into that? No, I
1: like that relationship too. It was very small, extremely broadly comic, but kind of well played by, by him and by Jamie Presley as right. the wife. Right. And I I thought because there was this sort of negative model of what marriage could be, you know, this sort of like right. ugly, snarling marriage being being constantly in the background, that. That Paul Rudd might drop out of his marriage at one point. I mean, as long as we're spoiling, there's a, there's a there's a moment about two weeks before his wedding when he starts to get cold feet and say, why are we doing this? And, right. you know, his wife, understandably, is freaking out. And I sort of thought, well, maybe the movie will go in some interesting direction where this friendship actually did show him that he wasn't quite mature enough or ready to be married or not to this person or whatever. But, I mean, of course, it's a romantic comedy, so it does have to end up, you know, under the hoopa or whatever.
0: Right, <laughs> right. And and there were uh, the wedding scene is... Uh, is how the movie ends and and i and you i think that was something that, that bothered you the way that the the ending played well, out. Well, it's just
1: that wedding scenes in romantic comedies are always interrupted. Has anyone ever gotten married in a romantic <laughs> comedy without somebody riding a motorcycle in at the last minute? Right, and, right. You know, either objecting, which doesn't happen in this movie, or, you know, having some sort of a heart-to-heart right in front of the whole congregation. You know, that, of course, has to happen with the with the two men. And right. it just goes on for so long that even in the context of this movie, it, it, it seems utterly absurd.
0: Yeah, it, it, and it's funny. You don't you actually don't get any of the vows between Paul Rudd and, and his wife-to-be. It's only the only real exchange of any kind of emotional... Uh, merit happens between Jason Segel and, and Well, Paul it's the Rudd. first
1: moment in the movie that you start to sort of sy- sympathize with Rashida Jones, who plays the wife-to-be of Paul right. Rudd, and think like, well, this guy is sort of taking over a disproportionate amount of my, my man's life.
0: Exactly, exactly. I, I guess the one thing I would say in, in defense of that uh, sort of uh, drawn-out wedding scene is at the very end, there's a, there's a funny exchange where, of course... Uh, Paul Rudd, over the course of the movie, has finally uh, achieved the ability to have a kind of cool exchange with Jason Siegel. And they, they, they exchange, I don't even know how I would describe it, they exchange these kind of epithets for one another. Well, where, they start
1: to say, I love you, right? First, right. Paul Rudd says, I love you, man, the title right. of the movie. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then Paul Rudd says, oh, I, love you, like, I love
0: you, dude. And then they go, "I love you, bro." I
1: love you, Tico Brahe. I love
0: you, Tico Brahe. And then, then the craziest one that that actually made me laugh a lot was <laughs> was it Siegel? Is it? I think it's Siegel. Yeah. It. It says, "I love you, Broseph Goebbels. <laughs> 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 which is just like so, broke down so many walls and was just so bizarre and kind of tasteless, but also sort of amazing and not what I was expecting um so that was that was pretty great i mean there that was connected to something I, I liked that moment, but it was connected to something i didn't like about the movie, which is that whole sort of like bro lingo thing Brosif Goebbel's works because it 's so absurd it 's different than anything i've heard before, but the whole kind of bro thing connected back to me f- with me uh to a bunch of other. Of jokes that fell kind of flat uh, in the movie, that just sort of felt like things that are about to be dated or maybe are already dated. Like I said, the 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 continual references to mandate. There was a certain sense in which it felt like the script was written with a bunch of issues of the New York Times Style section open. There was like they kept mentioning mandates. They kept talking about a man cave. Jason Segel is a man cave. There were a couple lame Facebook jokes. It just sort of it felt like it was trying to have this kind of like hip contemporary. you know, send up of, of uh, the, our, our social mores, but in, it felt like if you watched this in six months, it would be like, oh God, really? You're making a Facebook joke. Um, so that there's, that's a thin line. I mean, I think, I think sometimes they're on the right side of it. And sometimes they weren't. Bruce of Goebbels was on the right side for me, but.
1: All right. Well, thank you, bro, for joining <laughs> me.
0: I love doing these, man.
1: Uh, and, um, so sorry, I'm like Paul Rudd. <laughs> this is why I love Paul Rudd so much. I am Paul Rudd. All right, Thanks okay, for joining Jobin. me. Thanks for joining me, Jobin, for this late <laughs> spoiler special.:
0: Always a pleasure.